Welcome to Family Church Podcast. From wherever you're listening, we thank you for joining us. If you missed our family gathering this week, we miss you, and we hope that you enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 25. Uh, Exodus chapter 25. We're going to bounce around a little bit today uh, in the book of Exodus because we're covering a big topic uh, that that God has a lot to say about uh, in the book of Exodus. And so we want to kind of get to some of it and some of it we're just going to summarize and uh, you can go read on your personal time. But today we're talking about summer road trip and we're talking about getting to our destination. And, And it's funny, there's usually two type of road trippers in the world. There are the people that when they get in the car, they want to arrive at their destination as quick and as fast as possible. And then there's another person that that is like, hey, we should stop here along the way, or we should stop and see this along the way, or it would be nice to, 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 to stop and rest for a little bit. And what's crazy is this is what God usually does. He usually put those people together, right? And it's like one person is like, man, we should stop and see these monuments. And the person's like, absolutely not. We have a destination. We have a place to where we're going. There's no reason for us to stop on this journey, right? And then there's some people that are like, I'm going to do whatever I want, right? Like, I'm going to stop at the rest stop, or I'm going to stop and see. I remember as a kid, we lived in Colorado Springs for uh, about a year, and all of the rest of my family was in Memphis, Tennessee. And so when we make that journey back, we always drove through St. Louis, right? And you could see the arch in the distance, Right? And I always wanted to stop, but I was like, my dad's never going to stop, right? My dad is, is, he is trying to make the best time possible because he's going to get there and like, yep, made it in 12 hours and 30 minutes this year, right? It's like, it's like a bragging thing, like how fast you made it. And then I believe that as we've looked in the book of Exodus, like, I feel like that the Israelites are like, okay, God, we, we've had enough of the wilderness. We, we've enjoyed our time here but I'm tired of, of sleeping in the tent. I'm, I'm tired of being uh, essentially mobile. Like I am ready to get to the final destination of what you have for us, Lord. They wanted to arrive at the promised land, but God wasn't ready to put them there yet. He had other things that he wanted to unfold and, and to teach them and get to them to, to, to trust him. And one of those things, are, what we're going to look at today, is that God wanted them to build what we call a tabernacle. The word tabernacle is a, uh, means a house or a dwelling place. And for, for the Israelites, the tabernacle was temporary. It wasn't something that was to be permanent. It was something that they could build. And when they, they, would, when they would stop, and then they could tear it down, and they could take it with them, and then they would build it again. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we saw God give the Ten Commandments, the law. And then last week we saw where the golden calf, and they, they built this, and they began to worship. And within 40 days, they had broken the first two commandments. Right. Well, in that moment that God was in the mountain, when the Israelites were building the golden calf at the end of the Ten Commandments, God was giving Moses really, really specific instructions. And those instructions were in regards to how and what and with what resources he wanted him to build what we know as the tabernacle. And we see it in Exodus 25. This is where it begins in verses one through nine. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You're to take my offering from everyone who's willing to give. And this is the offering you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, akasu, wood, and oil for the light, spices and the anointing oil from the fragrant incense, onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and the breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them and you must make it according to that I show you, what I show you. 
the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all the furnishings. The first thing that I want you to see this morning is that God provides the resources. They weren't left to figure out, like, where are we going to get this stuff from? God tells them, he says, when you go back down the mountain, what I want you to do is I want you to take up an offering. And, and, and through that offering, you're going to collect the resources necessary to build the tabernacle in which I'm instructing you to build. One of the things that we see is that God's pretty specific of what he's looking for, right? He doesn't say, like, just tell him to give whatever. He doesn't take, you know, get what you can get. He says, these are the things that I want. This is the stuff that I need in order to build the tabernacle in which I'm calling you to build. But he was also really specific in who he wanted to give. I want you to see this. In, in Exodus 25, verse 1, it says, Tell the Israelites to take an offering from me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. Who is willing to give. There's something specific in that. That Moses wasn't to go to every tent and shake it down and be like, gold, silver, like you got any yarn in here? Like what, what do you have? Like that wasn't the way that he was supposed to do it. He was supposed to put the cry out and say, look, this is what God has instructed me to do. Anybody who has these resources, will you contribute them? Would you give a portion of them to the Lord so that we can construct this tent, this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place for the Lord? And what we should, we should learn about this request from God is God doesn't force you to worship him through giving. He gives you the opportunity to choose to. He loves, Scripture tells us, a cheerful giver. Uh, there's not one person in here that likes paying taxes. But we're required to pay taxes. And that's why we don't like it. right? We're, like, we're grumpy about it. But the reality is, is the Lord is saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to worship me through giving. It's a choice that you get to make to contribute to the work that God wants to do. And that was the Israelites. He wanted them to give a sacrifice. He wanted to offer a portion of what he had given them. And in order for somebody to give, and some of you know that, 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 that this is a thing, this is a topic that we don't always discuss, but if it comes up in Scripture, it's necessary for us to talk about it because it's a call that God's placed on our lives. But one of the things that we, that we see here is that in order for one to give, it requires a proper view of themselves and a proper view of God. And until you have those perspectives, you're never going to be willing to, to give. You're never going to be generous with what you have. That proper view of yourself is this, is that God created you. He's gifted you. And everything that you have is not yours. It's his. That he has put on loan for you for this life and this life only. And at the end of the day, he's going to distribute that to somebody else. And, and they're going to be responsible for stewarding that. The second thing is, is, that, is that keeping that perspective of God. And I kind of touched this just a second ago. It's that he's a big God. He's a gracious God. And what we have is from him. And so when we look at our stuff and we hold on to our stuff and we cling to our stuff and we think that our resources are simply for ourselves, we've missed the mark. That God has given us those, yes, to provide for us, but also that we might worship him through it. It's giving a portion back. You said, Justin, well, how do you know this? Because we see it really clearly in the book of Exodus. When, 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 the, when the Israelites left Egypt, they were told to go and to take all the gold and the silver. They were told to take the, the resources, the expensive stuff from the Egyptians, that God had given those things to them. And the Egyptians, what did they do when they went to get them? The Egyptians were like, yeah, we're not, we're not messing around with Yahweh no more, right? Here you go, take it. And they left. But when they got into the wilderness and they're hanging out, what we looked at last week is those resources that God gave them. He did not give them to build and make an idol for themselves to worship. 
He gave them knowing that there was going to be a time in the wilderness that the tabernacle was going to come about and he was going to call for them to give back a portion of what God gave to them. And this is it. Like the tabernacle, this, the, 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 the erection of the, the, the tabernacle is God saying, hey, I want you to give back a portion of what I've given to you. And so he, Moses eventually asked for this offering and the people will give. And so Moses is like, all right, what do I do now? And he goes back to what God instructed him to do in Exodus 25 through the chapter 30. We're not going to read all of this. I'm just going to reference this this morning. What you'll find in this five chapters is, is a blueprint. Instructions. Very clear, detailed. Measurements. Size. Width. What, it was, the, the, what was supposed to be placed on it. Gold, silver, like bronze. It, it, what, what it was to be made with. God gives it. So if you're like a, you're like a buff that likes to, you know, a, a person likes to build stuff and you're into that stuff, like you may be interested in that. Because it's like to the T, very specific. And all of these pieces of furniture that were to be made had, a, had a, a pointed to something and, and, and they would be placed in the tabernacle. But it was a place for God to come from, from heaven to earth and to, and to dwell in the presence of his people. And so Moses had these blueprints and he had these instructions and the resources. And so Moses is like, OK, what's next? And God says in Exodus 31 verses 1 through 6, this is what he says. The Lord also spoke to Moses. Look, I've appointed my name. Bezel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with God's spirit. You want to underline that. With wisdom and understanding, ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut from gemstones for mounting to, to, and to carve wood for work in every craft. I've also selected Aholahab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. I've put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan in order to make all that I've commanded you. So God provides the resources, God provides the blueprint, and God provides the builders. God just didn't say, like, hey, recruit whoever. God specifically says, like, these are the people that I want to build my tabernacle. And I would assume that this is the best of the best, right? Like, he's not going to take anything less. He chooses the, 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 the best carpenters, the best builders in all of the tribes of Judah and says, come on, get to work. These are the instructions. This is what I want you to do. And I always... When I look at people, like I'm always just in awe of, of God's design, of how different we are. Right? Like we can just tell from the way that we do our hair and the way that we dress, but the, the skills and the abilities that God puts in us. We closed on our house about a month ago, and I've been fixing things, right? And fixing stuff that I messed up the first time trying to do, right? And last week I came in because I was trying to put in a three-way switch and I know you're supposed to turn the power off and I did, trust me, the first time. But then I couldn't figure out which wire was like the constant and all of that stuff. So I flipped it on to do it. Bro, I got shocked. And I was like, maybe I should hire somebody, right? Like it was one of those moments, but I'm like, nah, YouTube will tell me how to do this. And, and so, I, but, but it's one of those things that like God gifts different people differently, right? It's those skills that he places in us, those, those abilities that he, that, that he uniquely gifts us with. And it's not just so that we can use them for our personal gain. It's not just so that we can use them to say, look at me, I'm the best of the best. God has uniquely gifted you with those gifts for his glory and for his purpose. See, I, I told you to underline that it says in verse 3, I filled him with God's spirit. Until you Possess the Holy Spirit, which God gifts us at the moment of salvation. That you will always see your abilities, your gifts, your talents as a means and a resource to provide for you. You will never see that as an opportunity to give God glory for what he's given you the ability to do. And that's what God did. He calls out these people. 
And I was thinking this week about this, and I'm like, man, we have like some of the best of the best in, in our church. Like some of, some of the best administrators and some of the best teachers and some of the best attorneys, some of the best accountants and some of the best uh, of all things, right? Like I could go on and somebody's going to come after me like, you didn't say mine. I'm like, maybe you're not the best. I don't know. Like, um, so, but, but what we know is like God has placed them in our congregation. And, and I look around and I'm like, man, how do, how do we leverage the skills and the ability and the talents that God gives us for his glory? And it's a choice, but it's a choice that we make through the power of the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, show me how I can use this. Show me how I can use this to, to glorify you. And these guys, like when they signed up, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. We'll build the tabernacle. I don't know if they knew what they were getting into. Like, I don't know if they would know, like hundreds of years later, we're sitting here talking about this tabernacle that was built, that they would be able to walk by it with their, with their grandkids one day and be like, yeah, I was a part of that. Like, I was a part of, 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 of building this tabernacle was God would come and dwell in. And so God provided the resources and he provided the blueprint and he provided the builders. And we see that he wasn't finished there. In Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38, it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out wherever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of the journey. God also provided his presence. Like he, he did what he promised he would. He said, look, here's the, here's, here's the resources you're going to get. It's the things that I've already given my people. Here's, the, here's, here's who's going to build it. It's the, it's the gifts that I've already given my people. They're going to construct it. He said, here's the blueprint. This is what I want it to be because I'm going to be dwelling in your presence. See, it was their obedience. It, was, excuse me, it wasn't their obedience to the offering and the plan that earned God's presence. We don't earn God's presence. We don't earn our salvation. It's what God does. It was their obedience that welcomed it. It was their obedience, their actions that said, God, we want you to come. It was their giving that said, God, we want you to dwell among us. It was the, the fact that they volunteered to work and to serve and to help build this thing that said, God, we want to invite you here. God's glory filled the tabernacle, Scripture tells us. And it was, he was dwelling among his people. He was with them. And they didn't have to guess or hope or dream of the day that they would, he would be with them, that, that, that the tabernacle was constructed in the middle of all of where the 12 tribes would, 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 would camp out. Right in the middle. And so it was visible to everybody. And they didn't, they didn't, if they didn't see the tabernacle from their tent, all they had to do was look up. They would see the cloud or the pillar of fire that was resting over it. That was a symbol of God's presence. And so, so God not only spoke to them, and not only God did he instruct them and made himself visible to them, but, but now he was allowing them to, to, to see that he was dwelling among them. And there's a major theme here in the Bible. There's a major theme that we see in Scripture that this was always God's plan. This was always God's plan. I want to share with you something that I, I learned a few years ago, and it was kind of fresh to me. And, 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 and it's a theme that I think works its way through all of Scripture. Some of you are familiar with Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and everything was what? Good, right? It was perfect. had no flaws. But God created these two human beings. We call them Adam and Eve. 
And God gave them instructions, one instruction specifically, that, hey, listen, this tree is the only thing that's off limits. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did Eve do? She ate from it. And what did she do? She gave it to Adam, and Adam ate from it. And, And because of that, there was consequences. We know the story. Sin entered the world and screwed everything up. Right? That God, next time he came into the garden to be with them and to dwell among them, what were they doing? They were hiding. They were naked and ashamed. And so God calls out to them, where you are? Well, we were naked. We were embarrassed. Well, how did you know that you were naked? Well, we ate from the tree. Well, God said, oh, well, there's going to be consequences. And from that moment, he, he asked them to leave the garden. And life was different from there. Their relationship with God was different from there. And when sin entered the world, we, these two circles kind of overlapping represent God dwelling with his people. But when sin entered the world, it, it was separated. They didn't have the same relation. Mankind did not have the same relationship that is God's original design, his creation from the beginning. God wasn't dwelling with his people. Sin was the barrier. And so God began to execute a plan. And, and, and it began after sin entered the world, and it started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we see in Exodus, the plan continues, that they're in slavery, and God rescues them, and he's making himself known to them. And then as they're in the wilderness, we get to this place in, in the book of Exodus where God says, you know what? I'm going to make my presence known. I'm going to dwell among the people. And so he gives them the instructions, and he gives them the resources, and he says, build the tabernacle. And when he built the tabernacle, this is what begins to happen. You see this illustrated through the two circles. God begins to get a little bit closer to his original design. And his presence fills the tabernacle, and he dwells among his people. And as they get into the promised land, God says, hey, you know what? I want you to put away the tabernacle, and now I want you to build the temple. And the temple was a more permanent tabernacle, similarly the same thing, a lot of the same furniture, and it was just a place where God would dwell, but instead of being a mobile thing that they could pack up and move around, it was, it was, it was in place. They knew where it was. They could go to it. The presence of God was there, but God wasn't done yet because the tabernacle and the temple weren't, wasn't the finish line. It wasn't where he wanted to get to. And scripture says this, the disciple John says in John 1, 14 through 18, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed the glory, and the glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only one and only Son, who is himself, God, and is, the fa- is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. See, see, the, the tabernacle and the temple were great steps of God continuing his plan. But Jesus was better, right? And, 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 and John says it. He says that, he said that, 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 that the word was God. The word was God, and he came and he dwelt among us. And it wasn't in a tabernacle or a temple, but it wasn't the presence of God. It was God with us. And that's what we see in Scripture. He ate with them, and he sat with them, and he did life with them. It was the closest that he had been since the garden, since the beginning. But according to Jesus, he's like, this is not the best. There's something else that's going to come. And he says it in John 16, 5 through 11. He says, for now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yeah, because I've spoken these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. Here it is. It is for your benefit that I go away. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin. 
because they do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father who will no longer see me, and about judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. Jesus tells the disciples that something better is coming, and that something better was the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was one person that didn't duplicate himself. And so as the crowd would gather to preach, they left, and they were separated from Jesus. But they were there, they were in the presence of God. And so Jesus says, look, there's something that's going to come. It's the counselor. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's better than me. There's a saying that some people say that the Spirit within me is better than Jesus beside me. That the Holy Spirit within us is God's presence. It's God with us. It's better inside of me than Jesus beside me because Jesus is one person that can't be next to everyone. But when we leave this place, those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, it goes with us. It's where we are. He is there. That's what his promise is, and that's what the scripture tells us today. And that's where we exist today. But the Holy Spirit takes residence when we trust in Jesus Christ. There's two baptisms. There's water baptism. That's an outward expression of an inner change. But there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, when did that happen? The moment that you trusted and believed in Jesus Christ is the moment that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that God took residence in your life, and he began to dwell in you. And you begin to carry him wherever you go and whatever you do. And some of us are like, whoa, this is it, man. This is, this is the best that it can get. And God's word says, nah, because I haven't fully restored what was broken in the beginning. See, God's not, God's not done. God's not finished with, with, with his restoration project. He's not finished with restoring back his original design. We haven't arrived where we're going. And that's what, that's what we need to see. This theme that unfolds in the scripture is that there's something else that is to come and we refer to it as heaven, right? Where, where these circles then become overlaid again like it was in the garden in the beginning and no longer is there a barrier that keeps us from God. No longer is there something holding us back from the presence of God, but rather we freely dwell in the presence of God with the ability to worship him and to love him and to serve him, and he dwells with us. One of my favorite stories around Easter, and we, shoot, we may preach it this next year, is that, is that when Jesus is on the cross and, he, and he, he, he says the words, it is finished, in the temple, very thing that we talked about today, the tabernacle, the, the permanent fixture of this, it was this curtain that separated man from the Holy of Holies. And when God said it is finished, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is where that curtain is ripped from top to bottom. And it's this symbolism, it's this picture of God saying, we're one step closer. What kept you from me, what separated you from me is removed. My son has come to you. Now my spirit will come and dwell within you that we keep getting closer, moment by moment, day by day, we get closer to restoring, God restoring his original design. But the tabernacle is just one step closer. Jesus was another step closer. The Holy Spirit is another step closer. And though we dwell with the Spirit, God is not finished. But he has something else. This morning, Ben's going to come and he's going to begin to play and we're going to worship here in a second. But this is what I want to challenge you to. Some people walk into the church and they're like, man, I just don't feel like God cares or I don't feel like God's with me. I pray that when you read through the book of Exodus like I do, that you realize that God has never stopped pursuing his people. That when sin broke what, what mankind had with God, God didn't say, shoot, there it goes. 
But rather, he said, here's the rescue plan. This is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to get them back to be able to dwell in my presence freely. This is how we're going to arrive at this place where we can be with one another and love one another and they can worship me and I can get back what we lost in the garden. And I want you to know something. Heaven isn't just the place that we hope for or we want to exist. Heaven's real. And heaven's a place where God says, I want you to be with me there. But that begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Trusting in him, believing in him. That's what the whole tabernacle was for, is will you trust me? Right, like will you give, will you worship me with your resources? Will you worship me with your talents? Because worship says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, you're my God. So if you're here today and you're like, man, God just has never pursued me. I point you back to the cross. I point you to the temple, to the tabernacle, to this Holy Spirit, that God longs to have a relationship with you, that he has pursued you from the very beginning because he wants you to experience all that heaven is, all that his original design was, that we can rest in his presence, that we can dwell with him. That there's no barriers and Barricades. There's nothing holding us and separating us from him. And so this morning, if you've yet to trust in Jesus, if you've yet to surrender to Christ, and I urge you, if the Holy Spirit is drawing, to not reject that, but to receive that. And allow God to rescue you from your sin. So that one day, one day that you will be with the Lord, and that you can rest in his presence forever, for eternity. Because that's what God originally designed. What we experience today in the brokenness of this world is far from what God ever planned. But he didn't stop when it was broken. He said, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to save my people. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, in just a second, I'm going to be over the side over here, and I would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But if you're here today and you're just a believer and you're like, man, I just feel absent from God. I feel far from God. Know that God has not stopped pursuing you and he is pursuing you today because he loves you and he cares for you and you're his children. Thank you for listening to the message this week. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus or about Family Church, please go check out our website at familychurchsumter.com. We hope you will see you this Sunday.